Matthew chapter 6. We are back in the, the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we covered the first four words of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, today, we are going to cover the second four words of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm calling this message, Do You Mean What You Pray? And as we'll see, this prayer, hallowed be your name, is easy to say. It's more difficult to understand. And I believe that it is actually impossible to mean apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And while we're only going to be covering those first four words, I'm going to continue um, reading the entire prayer out loud together. And so the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Would you join me in standing as we read the Lord's Prayer together today? And Jesus said to them, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make your holiness known to us in this place today. That these wouldn't just be words, but that we would encounter your holy presence today in your word, by your spirit, that you would teach us, God, who you are and who you have called us to be. God, we thank you for your word. We love your word. Holy Spirit, cause us to delight in your word and to obey your word today. Lord, to not only look to you as holy, but to desire that our lives would be made holy as well, that we would be holy as you are holy. And so Holy Spirit, we need you to do that in us. God, we can't purify ourselves. We can't make us holy, but you can. You can set us apart. You can make us holy. You can make us clean. And so we pray that we would have an encounter with you, Jesus. And by your presence, you would make us holy. We pray it for your glory, Lord, according to your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, depending on your vocabulary, uh, specifically within which century, your vocabulary was formed. This phrase, hallowed be your name, might be confusing. I remember being in elementary school. It must have been elementary school. I was memorizing uh, the Lord's Prayer for catechism at the Catholic church that my family was a part of. And I was sitting at the dining room table and I was trying to commit these words to memory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I was confused by two things. First was, why is my father doing art in heaven? No joke. I had a lengthy conversation with my mom about that. And then the second was, what does it mean, hallowed be your name? The closest thing that I had to understand the word hallowed is the word Halloween, and that didn't help. Okay, it was no use to me. And so at some point, 
at a young age, I must have just decided that this was a declaration of praise. As if to say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It wasn't until much later in my Christian faith that I actually found out that this is not a declaration of praise. This is a petition. This is a request. This is the first thing that Jesus asks us to ask God in prayer. You see, to hallow God's name is not just to say that God's name is holy, but to actually regard his name as holy. It's one thing to say that something is important or a priority. It's another thing to organize your life to put that thing in its rightful place of priority. And so hallowed be your name is not just saying, God, your name is holy. It's saying, God, may we regard your name in our lives. May we regard you as holy. It's a prayer that the whole world would be aware that God is who he is and that we would revere him as being God. Here's how I would translate this for us today. Our Father in heaven, let it be that all people everywhere would be regarding your name as holy. God, let it be that every person in our church, every person in Carpinteria, everyone in the world, let it be that we would be constantly regarding your name as holy. Now, most of our prayers have a very obvious goal. Okay, we ask for things and we know exactly what it would look like for God to answer that prayer. Lord, please pay these bills. Know exactly what it would look like for God to answer that prayer in the affirmative. Lord, heal me or heal this person that I love. We know exactly what that would look like for God to answer that prayer in the affirmative. Okay, Lord, I pray that the construction on the 101 would hurry up and be completed. We all know what that would look like if God answered that prayer. Just no traffic. Our prayers typically have an obvious answer. We know what they would look like if God answered these prayers. But what would it look like for God's name to be regarded as holy in your life? What would it look like for God's name to be regarded as holy in the church, in Carpinteria, the coastlands, and the nations? What would it look like for God to answer this prayer? It all depends on what it means to be holy. See, to be holy is to be set apart and regarded as different, other, not common. Okay, to be holy is to be set apart. And God is not the only thing in Scripture said to be Set apart, Exodus, two, uh, Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so among all the days of the week, God set apart the seventh day. It's different. 
It has a specific purpose. Okay, Exodus 19, five through six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There are lots of peoples in the world, but God has set Israel apart. They are to be holy, devoted to a sacred purpose for God's glory. And of Israel, there was a people set apart from within Israel, the Levites. The tribe of Levi was set apart. They were holy for service in the temple. And of the Levites, the sons of Aaron were set apart. They were made holy. They were priests. They had a specific privilege within the temple. And of the sons of Aaron, there was one man, the eldest son, who was to be the high priest. He had an even more holy responsibility. Only he could go into the holy of holies, the place within the temple, which was a holy place within the land of Israel that God had made holy. Then he could go into the holy of holies on the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement. See, God is constantly setting things apart, making it holy, taking from what is and calling a certain portion to himself for a special purpose. See, a common misconception is that holiness is equal with moral perfection. When we say that something is holy, that we mean it is morally perfect. Now, holiness does not necessarily mean moral perfection, although moral perfection is one way that God's holiness is seen. He is morally perfect and nothing else is. So that is one way that his holiness is seen. But instruments in the temple were called holy and they have no moral value. They were just set apart for a specific purpose in the temple. Priests were holy. They were set apart for service in the temple, but they still had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. They were not morally perfect. They were set apart. They were made holy for a specific purpose. And so for God to make something holy means that it's set apart for special use. You have holy things in your house. Okay, who grew up or still has uh, in their house, a, uh, a china cabinet. Am I the only one? I know I'm not the only one. I've seen some of your china cabinets. <laughs> Holy dishes <laughs> that are only used when certain people come over. My favorite example of holy things in our house is your toothbrush. It's got one job. And as soon as it does another job, it is no longer fit for its original job. You drop your toothbrush in the toilet. I am sure scientifically you could get that thing clean again. It still ain't going in my mouth. It's not going to happen. It's holy. It's got one job set aside for a specific purpose. And so God sets apart people and places and things to be holy meaning that they, uh, they, they have a, a one purpose for God's glory. That's why they exist. 
That's why they were set apart. That's why they were made holy. They exist for God's glory. And so what God says is holy must be regarded by his people as holy. And so in this case, in the Lord's prayer, hallowed be thy name. It is God's name that is to be revered as holy. And so what does it mean for God's name to be holy or regarded as holy? If you are a student of the Old Testament, then you may know that in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals his name to the people of Israel, his personal name. He's not just called God or Lord. He tells the people of Israel, my name is Yahweh, which means I am or I exist. The, the, the fundamental uh, truth about God and who he is, is that he is the self-existent one. He is, he always has been, he always will be. And so he is set apart from everything else in the universe because everything else in the universe was made by him. Okay, there are two categories. There is God and there is everything else. God is set apart. He's different. He's not like us. Everything else is familiar. Everything else is common. Everything else is creation. But there is only one creator. God is different. He's holy. And so his name was to be regarded as such. It was to be set apart. It was to be holy. It was not to be like any other name. So holy was God's name that the people of Israel throughout their history eventually just stopped using it for fear of using it in vain. And even when they were, they were uh, writing the manuscripts, when they were, were, were copying the, the books of the Bible, there were these elaborate rituals that the scribes would go through before they would actually pen God's name to remind them of how much reverent fear they should be of what this means. And eventually they stopped writing it all together. And they wrote the word Adonai, which means Lord which is why today when you read your Old Testament and you come across the word Lord in all caps, that is a sign to you that the original word in the Hebrew language is Yahweh, the personal divine name of God. But they revered it so much. They were so afraid of using it that they would use it in vain. They, would, they, they didn't use it so that they wouldn't use it in vain. And so is this what Jesus is asking us to do? Is Jesus asking us to regard God's name as holy so that we never use it? No. It's not it at all. Rather, in the ancient world, someone's name was more than what they were called. It represented their identity, their character, all that they were. And so when we pray in Jesus' name... It's not the Christian abracadabra that we put on the end of our prayers so that God will make it come true. I said the words, you got to do it now. No, it's saying in as much as what we have prayed is in line with Jesus' character, his identity and his will, Lord, let it be done. 
in Jesus' name, let it be done. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name be regarded as holy, it doesn't just mean that we treat his name with special reverence, although we should. Okay, we should never find ourselves using the name of the Lord or using the name of Jesus as a vain exclamation or a curse. But more than that, it means that we regard all of God's nature and character, all that he is with special reverence because he's not like us. He's holy. He's different than anything else in the universe. He is the creator, the sustainer, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning, the end. He is different than us. There is no way to finish the sentence. God is like blank. There's nothing like him. There's nothing like God. See, most of our prayers have an obvious answer. We know what it would look like for God to answer that prayer. But what would the answer to this prayer look like? What would it look like for us to pray, hallowed be your name, and see something and go, there it is. That's God answering that prayer. I actually think it's easier to answer the inverse, the opposite of this question. What does it mean to not regard God's name as holy? Okay, the opposite of holy, to be set apart from the rest, is to be common or what the Bible calls profane. See, profanity is profane because it is the language of the commoner. It's common language. It's not holy language. It's unholy, which just means not set apart for God's glory. And so the Bible refers to something that's not holy as being profane. And the Old Testament is full of examples of God's name being profaned. Leviticus 22, 31 through 33. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Again, all caps. The name of God. When God's people do not obey his commands, they profane his name. Right there. Do them. I am the Lord. Don't profane my name. Again, Ezekiel 36, 20 through 23. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, speaking of Israel in exile. In that the people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So this refers to Israel's sin, that when they were in exile, 
Their, their sin resulted in exile. And yet when they were in exile, they continued in their sin and profaned the name of God among the nations where they were sent. This is just one of those pa- several passages that refer to the people of God being responsible. They are the ones responsible for profaning God's name. It's not the nations that profane God's name. It's not the non-believing peoples that profane God's name. It's the people of God who are profaning God's name. See, only those who bear the name of God can break the third commandment and bear the name of God in vain. Only the Israelites who were known to be Yahweh's people can profane his name. Only Christians who are known by the name of Christ, can profane Christ's name. See, when we live just like everybody else, just a common life, and yet we bear the name of Christ, when we live lives that are not distinct, not set apart, not holy, we profane the name of God by letting people believe that he actually does not have power to change our lives. If he did have power to change that person's life, their life would be changed. But since they live just like me, God is just some common run-of-the-mill deity. Some ancient mythological thing that people still run to who has no power. If he did, that person would live differently. Let me be even more clear. According to this, the reason the world shows no regard for Jesus, the the reason the culture shows no regard for Jesus, the reason our friends and family show no regard for Jesus, the reason your coworkers, your employers, whoever it is, the reason this world shows no regard for Jesus is not because of their sin. It's because of ours. It's because of your sin. But the world shows no regard for Jesus. Because if he were special and if he had power to make new creations as Christians say that he does, they would be different. Ezekiel 20, verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. See, the hypocrisy of God's people was that they would go into the temple and offer sacrifices. They would put their gifts on the altar and then they would leave and live just like everyone else to the extent of even worshiping idols. And so they treated God just like they treated the false gods. They didn't treat him any different. They profaned his name. And so by coming to church and singing our songs and praying, Lord, hallowed be your name, and then leaving this place and not living any differently, we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. 
It demonstrates that we don't take his holiness seriously. It demonstrates that we don't take him seriously. We don't take his mission in this world seriously. We don't, we, we demonstrate that ultimately we don't take, we don't take God seriously. We're not regarding him as holy. And so the apostle Paul says in Romans 2, 24, that when we live like this, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So if God's name is profaned by our sin, made common, made insignificant, made unholy, if we show the world that there's nothing special about God by our sin, then the inverse is also true. His name is regarded as holy when his people live holy lives. God's name is regarded by the world, by those in your life, will be regarded as holy, different, set apart by our holy lives, different, holy, set apart lives, distinctly different lives in a culture that is all the same. A transformed life that is lived out among the people of this world puts the holiness of God on display. It proves that God's not just some other philosophy, some other ideology, some other self-help garbage book that you can find on the shelves at the library. This is different. God is different. He's distinct. He's holy. He's set apart. He actually has the power to change people. And this requires our presence among the world and yet a distinction from the world. So here's the thing. You might know that your life is different today than it was the day you met Jesus. But part of that is that you no longer live your life in the world. And so the world has had no opportunity to see that transformation. I remember one time praying for my parents' salvation. I was in my car, parked out in front of the house. And I was like, God, don't they see a change in my life? And one of the very few times, I I didn't hear an audible voice, but as clear as day, cutting through the muck in my head, God just said, no. And it wasn't because my life hadn't changed. It was because I never let them see the sin that needed to be changed before I became a Christian. And so some of us may have lived a double life before becoming a Christian. And so we've cleaned up our lives, but no one knows the sin, the bondage that we were dealing with. And the way to make God's name regarded as holy is to confess your sin to them. This is what I was doing. And look at how Jesus saved me. You regard God's name as holy. You cause others to regard God's name as holy by sharing your testimony. Some of you have experienced a radical change in your life. But part of that is you completely cut yourselves off from the world. And you live in a little Christian bubble. And yeah, your life is radically different than theirs. But you never let them see it because that's profane out there. I don't mess around with profane things. But you're not giving them the opportunity to see the light in the darkness. 
We come in here in these walls. If you only talk about Christ-like things or only live like a Christian, when you're around Christians, it doesn't do any good. If you don't have non-believing friends in your life that you are putting your good works on display so they might, what does scripture say? See your good deeds and glorify your father who's in heaven. We've got to unwall our worship. We've got to unhouse our faith, church. Take it to the streets because I know your lives have changed. Do they? We think that we get saved and so all of a sudden we just, oh, I got to change the community I live in and I now just live within these walls, walls and I pray in church and I worship in church and I raise my hands in church. But out there, just like everybody else, that's literally the problem. Living like everybody else. Coming in here and doing our little things and then going out there and pretending like it's not supposed to change us. putting our light under a basket, shoving it in a closet. Reality Carpenteria, God is calling our light to exist in the darkness so that darkness will flee. If you believe it, believe it. Where am I? Right here. You can't just live like everyone else and think that God's distinct holiness is going to be known to the world. That's not the way it works. He called Israel, a holy nation, to be a light to the nations, to gather them in. He's called the church to be set apart, holy, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we would go out to the nations and invite people in. The only way that you can put the holiness of God on display is to publicly live a distinctly different life. Can we pray this prayer with sincerity? Can we pray, hallowed be your name with sincerity? You've probably been told at some point in your Christian life, be careful what you pray for, right? Don't pray for patience, because God doesn't give you patience. He gives you circumstances that require you to learn patience. It's a dangerous prayer to pray for patience. I actually think this prayer right here, hallowed be your name, is the most dangerous prayer you could ever pray. And it's number one on Jesus' list of priorities. When he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number one priority for Jesus' church is to pray, hallowed be your name. And we know that it's a prayer that God wants to answer. He told us to pray it. But will we be ready when he does answer it? Because without a genuine desire to live a holy life, without a genuine desire to be repulsed by sin, without a desire to cling to righteousness and live in obedience to God's will and forsake our sinful pleasures. If we pray, hallowed be your name, and we're not willing to be changed, we're hypocrites. 
We pray disingenuously. We lie to God when we pray, hallowed be your name and refuse to repent of our sin. The very act of offering it up in prayer while we live in opposition to God profanes his holy name. It doesn't make sense. We can't ask for it while we never desire to do it. And scripture says that God will vindicate his holy name. How does God vindicate his holy name? The first way is through judgment. When Israel was living in sin, they weren't living holy lives. God brought judgment on them and sent them into exile. Would not allow them to continue profaning God's name without stepping in to set the record straight. Now listen, according to this, we're all judged. We all stand judged. All of us. Because we pray, hallowed be your name. And there's things in our lives that we still cling to. Lord, hallowed be your name in these areas. We'll get to this one eventually, but I'm still enjoying this right now. We all stand judged. Nobody's exempt. Who can pray, hallowed be your name with sincerity? Only Jesus. Only Jesus is the one who could actually pray, hallowed be your name. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Holy One of God. The moment we pray this prayer, we are aware of all of the ways God's name is not being regarded as holy in our minds and in our hearts, our relationships, our priorities, and our finances. We treat God like he's just another deity, just uh, some wishful thinking just another part of our lives that I've got all of these things in my life and God, you're just another part of that. No, he's holy. He's set apart. He's not like everything else in your life. In fact, he's not a part of your story. You're a part of his story. You're a part of his will. You're a part of his kingdom. It's not the other way around. We end up treating him like he's just our preferred deity. Like we picked him like we picked our favorite baseball team. Seriously, why am I a Dodger fan? It's because I grew up in Southern California. My dad was a Dodger fan. There's no like special. In fact, there's nothing special. They're kind of infuriating me right now. (laughs) Did I just get an amen? (laughs) Right? Why do you follow Jesus? I don't know. I was born in this part of the world and my parents followed Jesus. It's what a lot of people will say of your faith. If you'd been born somewhere else, you wouldn't follow Jesus just because you were born here and because your parents did. Is that who he is to us? No way. He's not just some common deity. He is the God of gods. Does not God have every right to execute judgment on his people for our lack of holiness? Can we pray this and escape judgment for our sin from the God who vindicates his holiness? Absolutely. You can know 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can pray this prayer and not be judged for your lack of holiness because the second way God vindicates his holiness is through undeserved grace. I cited Ezekiel 36, 20. Earlier, I want to show you how the passage finishes. 
Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, is it not, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when the, when th- When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Here's how he's going to vindicate his holiness. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. How is he going to vindicate his holiness when the people profaned his name? He is going to cleanse them. He's going to wash them. He's going to forgive them. He's going to bring them back into his holy land. Why? Not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. He is going to pour grace out on his people. Who can pray this prayer with sincerity? Every single person that Jesus has invited to pray this prayer, which is every single person who has put their faith in Jesus can come before their father in heaven and say, hallowed be your name and not be afraid of judgment because Jesus took your judgment. He was the only one who did not deserve to be judged for sin, who was nailed to the cross and judged for sin. And because he has taken our judgment from us, we can come to God knowing that there's sin in our life, knowing that there's problems, but desiring God to change them and asking him to do so by saying, hallowed be your name. May your name be regarded as holy in my mind, in my thoughts, in my heart, in my motivations, in my relationships, in my body. Hallowed be your name in Carpinteria, the coastlands and the nations. Give me an opportunity to put your holiness on display by the way that I live. Break these chains of bondage. Break these chains of sin. Empower me for righteousness. Make me holy. Like Jesus touched the leper and Jesus wasn't made unclean by the leper. The leper was made clean by Jesus. Jesus, give me a vision of your holiness and purify me me by your presence. I know I'm not holy, but you can make me holy. Every single person who knows the blood of Christ can pray with sincerity, hallowed be your name. Are you brave enough? Are you courageous enough to pray this prayer and mean it and know that God will answer it and let that sin that we're clinging to be burned away and let holiness be replaced? Are you courageous enough, Reality Carpenteria, 
to enter this season, whatever it may bring, with walls taken away from us so that carpentry of the coastlands and the nations can regard God's name as holy in the way that we live, in the way that we serve, in the way that we worship, in the way that we love one another and love this community. Will you unhouse your faith and let them see how beautiful your God in heaven is? Let's do it. Let's let him change us. Because of Jesus, we can genuinely pray these prayers, know that they will be answered, and know that when they are, we will be more like him. Holy, set apart, different, distinct, for God's glory in a world that is desperate to know him. I'm going to close with this. And before I do, I want to invite the worship team up. Some of you today need an encounter with the holiness of God who confronts your sin. It was about a month ago. I was closing up after a prayer and worship time uh, here at, at church. And it was a particularly just desperate time of crying out to God regarding our future as a church. And I was shutting off lights and, and locking doors. And I remember praying like, God, do you even hear us? Are you even with us, Lord? Do you even... Do you even know what you're doing with us? And at some point, my prayers went from lament to doubt. And I think I crossed a line, even into like accusation. I remember saying like, God, why aren't you with us? Why aren't you here? And I kid you not, I had this feeling just pierce my mind and my heart of the presence of the Lord. And I thought I might turn this corner and actually see Jesus standing there in front of me. And I hit the deck in repentance. God, forgive me. You are not like me. I don't know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You promised to be with your people. I am sorry that I doubted that promise. I needed to be confronted by the holy presence of God before my mind was allowed to wander any further into unholy territory. Some of us need to be confronted like that today because we've been living this way too long, profaning the name of God by coming in here and worshiping and then going out and living however we please. But all of us need an encounter with the holiness of God who vindicates his holiness by cleansing us of our sin. And these two things are not different encounters. 
We experience God confronting our sin by his holiness and vindicating his holiness by pouring out grace. We have both of those experiences when we encounter Jesus. The presence of Jesus confronts our sin and forgives our sin when we trust in him through faith. He is both the one in Revelation who has eyes like a flame of fire and in Revelation who who is the lamb who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world. We need an encounter with this Jesus because we know his desire. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. We know that he wants to. Sanctification means to be made holy. We know this is his desire. Our holiness is the will of God. Would it be our will as well? If so, then we can pray sincerely as we close now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen.